0: How is transparency going to change the way pricing is done? Do you see changes on the horizon for the way pricing is managed?
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Kenzie McEvely, the producer and host of McGowan Bender's Employee Benefits Podcast, Side Effects. Today's show covers the most requested topic about pharmacy pricing. Dave and I are joined by MB's Director of Pharmacy Solutions, Dr. Jeff, and we discuss the basics of drug pricing and how transparency is going to change the industry, adding more complexity. One of my favorite discoveries in this conversation was the origin of generic drugs and what's included in the cost of a specialty drug. We talk patents, research, ingredients and drugs, and so much more. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Side Effects. This is podcast number four in our pharmacy series, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chief Marketing Officer Dave Holman. Good morning. And Director of Pharmacy Solutions, Dr. Jeff Eichholz. Good morning. How are you both doing this morning?
0: It's it's a little early here, but uh, <laughs> we'll try to make... I'm trying
1: the, to bring the energy yeah, here. Yeah, we'll try to make the best that. of it.
0: Who cannot get excited about pharmacy this early and in the morning? And this topic
1: especially yes. is... Okay, so... Dr. Jeff and I were just saying, what's the first word you think of regarding pharmacy with the letter P?
2: Other than pharmacy, it's usually pricing.
1: Yay, yeah. pricing. I know. I was actually thinking there are probably a few other P words, but pricing yeah. is what we're discussing today. And I asked a bunch of people in our office to submit questions to Dr. Jeff for our podcast, and basically all of them were about pricing. So this is a very a good topic to get into, but we're just going to scratch the surface. So- Would you say the majority of your conversations are about pricing?
2: It is in one form or another. It's either client contract pricing, it's patient pricing, it's how do patients get the best price, why is it sometimes on insurance and sometimes not on insurance, so there's a lot of conversation about uh, cost and pricing and a couple of different aspects
0: associated with it.
1: Okay, so we're just going to... Yeah, we're just going to scratch the surface. What were you going to say, Dave?
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say, so for our viewers, can we start like at the most elementary building blocks? Because, again, as we've learned with with pharmacy, as we've had this discussion, you can kind of throw common sense out the window. But how is, can you just talk about, you know, the basics of drug pricing and how it works with a PBM? Yeah, so from a
2: contract perspective, and a lot of it, Starts with the contract behind the patient's benefits, right, in terms of having discounts that are associated with whether the product is a brand or whether or not the product is a generic product or even which channel they're getting it from. Are they getting a prescription at the retail pharmacy in a 30-day supply? Or if it's a maintenance med, there's a different discount. If it's a 90-day supply, then mail order might be a little bit different. Um, So all of that is really on the basis that helps determine the cost to the client, right, and then based upon the patient's benefit design or cost share, copay, coinsurance, then their portion of that gets determined. Um, there's a that's probably been the historic model associated with that. Um, that a lot of people are used to and accustomed to. But there are some new players in the industry, Mark Cuban being one, that is moving towards a more transparent pricing model. He's saying it's going to be cost plus 15% plus, you know, a dispensing fee plus shipping. And there are some PBMs that have also announced that that is going to be a model. Mm-hmm. CVS is changing their pricing model to patients for cash pay to that as well and negotiation. So while it's already been complex, uh, it's going to get a little bit more complex too
0: is, uh, in the future. Is there a standard pricing markup industry-wide that's accepted? Um, you know,
2: that's interesting because there is a markup that the retail pharmacies will have to try to create the margin, right? Uh Um, But because of some of the contract language that is in there and the discounts that are associated with that, could be the question of, without those PBM contracts in there, would that be the markup or would it not be the markup, right? Because so much of their business is being um, driven through insurance contracts, and they wanna maximize the reimbursements that they're getting. Their sometimes cash prices and list prices are very high so that there are actually discounts that are applied to it on the PBM and contract side. It gets into usual and customary costs and what's getting then included and excluded and discount guarantees. So it gets complicated behind that. The margins on some of those prescriptions are really, really small at the end of the day because the discounts and Oftentimes, retail pharmacies are actually losing money dispensing prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which isn't a good business model for anybody um, because of some of those contract complexities there that are there.
0: Okay, but they more than make up. They may lose some money on drug A, but drug B, they could be their, their margins could be.
2: Yeah, their margins much could higher. be different, yeah. and
0: then you know, there's also
2: foot traffic into the stores and other types of things that a lot of pharmacies are being able to. Um, to make up some additional money on that. But it's not necessarily that pharmacy is a huge windfall, I think, in terms of um, revenue or being able to have uh, ongoing you know, margin and stay in business, which is why we're seeing a lot of the independent pharmacies struggling uh, to, to really stay open, because they don't have sometimes all of the front end merchandise that a CVS, a Walgreens, a
0: Walmart would. Yeah, they're using them like a Kroger's using them to get them in the door because they know while they're there, they're going to make other convenience purchases. Yeah, pharmacy can be a value
2: add service that's there for convenience for sure.
1: I had no idea. I didn't even think about including all the other things because I love am I allowed to say the name of what pharmacy I go to? I I love my CVS because they have literally my favorite dog treats. They have my favorite makeup. I have like I didn't realize that I'm also contributing in that way. Yeah, they're going grocery shopping there.
0: (laughs) Well, and and Jeff, isn't that really why a lot of these larger uh, retailers started taking losses on their antibiotic $4 generics or free generics? Because they just want you in that store buying other things. Right, exactly. And I think Um, that. You know, you speak about CVS, right? Is that
2: um, they've gone into Target, and Target got out of kind of the pharmacy business, right. right, and sold that to CVS. That happened to some grocery store chains as well. That mm-hmm. you know, the major chain, the major pharmacy chains are taking over. You know, even in some of the other
0: big box stores. Wow, um, that is there. Yeah. So, regarding pricing, as you. Um, look at this, and as you talk to employers now and and going out there, how does an employer, if it's the Wild West with pricing and it's all over the board, I mean, how do you know if you're getting a good deal? Like, what does a good deal look like? What feels, I, I guess it's all perception of yeah. what, what you do, but what is that? Uh, how do you make sure that you're, you're priced right? And that, you're because I, I would imagine you look at it and you may be save, 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 you feel good, but then there's that one drug that you have a large group of your employees on and it's astronomical. Yeah, I think it
2: gets back to the conversation that we had a few episodes ago regarding having some help to really figure that out and to to tease it out and making sure that the offers and the contracts that are there, not only from a discount rebate perspective, but contract language and those types of things are... You know within industry norms and at the top of the industry norms is where everybody really wants to be I mean there is a wide range and uh, you know I have seen a wide range of, of contracts in my past that it's like wow that's looks really outdated four or five years outdated change is difficult changing PBMs and doing a contract review is um, can be very intimidating and employers have a lot of other things on their shelf and they're like, well, if there's not any noise from my patients right? and I know what my costs are and I'm budgeting for my costs, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to be able to to kind of take that and take that on and just, it's the easy button to just continue to renew, right? But you do have to have those conversations periodically to make sure yeah. that it's still being market competitive and getting some um, outside guidance and assistance and helping with that can
0: really pay off in the long run. Yeah. Okay. So with the growing popularity because the costs have gone up so much and and especially when a drug is released it's not affordable to the average american consumer out there so they have the copay assistance programs that are out there the drug cards that you can use how does that throw a wrench into pharmacy pricing or administration of the plan cuz i know that the carriers are kind of struggling with do we count it towards a deductible do we not count it towards a deductible out of pocket max like how does that how do those co-pay assistance programs impact the system yeah i'd say that that's
2: probably one of the bigger issues or challenges being dealt with is in terms of how does that apply to the accumulators or not and you know there's leg legisl- discussions on legislation around that that's sometimes very state specific and so then the plans have to be able to administer that you know on a on a state specific level i think from a utilization standpoint it becomes difficult to transition patients to more cost effective products if you're looking at it holistically right because as a mm-hmm. patient you love those because your 50 dollar copay your 100 dollar copay is now 5 dollars or zero yeah. right which is typically where generics are, right? In terms of $5, $0, 10 or 15, but minimal out-of-pocket cost, but the employer then gets on the hook for the balance of that difference, right? If you're taking a $500 drug versus a $50 drug, where the employer is paying $40 and the patient is paying 10 versus you know $490 that the employer is paying, it's difficult to get that patient to really move. So that is a challenge where there are those generic alternatives that they might have. No, we're not talking about a specific. It's the same drug, right? Mm-hmm. But therapeutically, it's kind of like if you're taking an Advil um, or an naproxen or an Aleve, right? Yes, yeah. so you get the same pain relief benefit from that. So it's a, that therapeutic equivalent that you have in there. Mm-hmm. It makes it more difficult to transition patients to those. Lower cost products for everybody involved. If you're taking a look at it, yeah.
1: So as we're on the topic of the generic versus brand name, how did this even get started? Who who created this and why?
2: Well, so it, every time a drug manufacturer brings a product to market, they have a patent that's associated with uh-huh. it, um, and. That patent really starts when they file and discover the drug, right? And so that's before it gets approved by the FDA. That's before they've done any of the clinical trials that are associated with it. And there's a finite window that they have to do all those trials, get it to market, um, and recoup their investment associated with it. And a very small number of drugs actually do make it to market, right? So if you want to talk about the overall pricing of drugs, why is it so expensive? They got to recoup the cost for that success Mm. and all of their failures as well, right? (laughs) So they can continue to develop and invest in drugs. After that patent expires, Mm -hmm. other manufacturers, generic manufacturers, can make the product and market the product. Mm-hmm. And typically, they can do that as, at a reduced cost because they have to create the compound and then show that it's equivalent, okay. right? So it's not as in-depth in terms of all of this trials that they have to do. They can, um, they can show that a little bit differently to mm-hmm. show that there's that equivalent effect that is there. Uh, so there's not as much investment. So they can bring that to market more cheaply, and okay. that's what we're seeing um, when generics do come
1: to market. Because I feel I know in the past I've taken a generic versus the brand name and it affected me differently. And I was like, "Well, shoot! Now I got to pay the extra for the brand name, so it works the way it's supposed to."
2: And there are um, guardrails in terms of you know percentage of uh, equivalence that they have. So there is. Um, a percentage difference that is there that is standard across all FDA approvals, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there is that window to change a little bit, so it could have an impact in there, right? Mm -hmm. The inactive ingredients don't have to be the same, so you could also have a little bit of a reaction to that. The dyes are different, the fillers are different, and you you may have a different type of reaction from that perspective. But in general, for most patients, most of the time, the generics work, and I think when you do have that cost difference there for not only yourself from an out-of-pocket, but also your
0: employer, you should at least give it a shot and yeah. see if it works. Yeah. So I'm going to share a little bit of PHI here with, with our listeners. <laughs> Bring <it on>. I, <laughs> I have an injectable that I have to give myself uh, for an autoimmune disorder. I have, it's called TALTS and it's a newer, I don't want to say it's new. It's relatively new. I switched over to it. Um, I've been on other biologics and it's not, you know, after a while, they just don't work as much. I'm on Taltz now, and it's working really well for me. And I know the first iteration that they had of it, they they released it without the uh, oh, I can't think of what they are the blockers that take away the stinging the beta. I can't think that of what that sounds they like
1: are. an important part. Yeah, but it,
0: <laughs> I mean, it was uh, I was miserable for the first couple years I was on it. It was miserable. And then they added that because I have a feeling that their patent was about to expire so mm. they made that enhancement to it. So like what is the average timeline? I know every drug's different, but when could I expect halts to not be you know, <laughs> specialty? Right.
2: If so it'll probably continue to be specialty, right? But whether or not there's a biosimilar that is available for it, which is kind of like a generic for a specialty product. Um, You know, those that are really into the weeds are going to yell at me for calling it like a generic. But it's the closest thing we have that everybody is uh, used to calling generic products generic Uh products, right? And so it gets really difficult to make that determination because which patent are they looking at? right Mm. and so like you had the initial patent that was there if they get patent extensions for either going to pediatric patients or new indications or things like that and that's one of the reasons that it has been a challenge for biosimilars to really get to market because then in addition to all of that patent litigation you sometimes also get settlements between manufacturers that you know, instead of they've got 10 patents that are out there and they spend eons arguing over which patent is going to be final, they'll come to an agreement and say, you know, if one pharmaceutical manufacturer, the originator says, well, we think it's going to be for 10 years and the other one says, no, we think it's now, well, maybe we'll settle on five and we'll let you go to market in five years okay. and won't impinge wow. on that. So it gets really complicated yeah. from that I standpoint. Hate,
1: hate that. yeah. It...
2: Um, <sighs> So there, there are some challenges that, that are there associated with that that I think are going to have to be tackled at some point in time if we really want to get our arms wrapped around it. And as I sit here today, I don't have the right answer <laughs> that's associated with it. But these are some of the things that, you know, are really playing into what makes a product new and patentable and the impact that that has longer term
0: on, on the overall cost. How is transparency going to change the way pricing is done? Do you see changes on the horizon for the way pricing is managed? I th-
2: I think it's a good question on whether or not we're going to see changes in terms of a new way to manage that, or is there more of... A move to the transparent pricing models that have been there right is that the pass-through versus spread model that we talked about uh, a couple episodes ago is, is offered today and has been offered you know even by the big three PBMs but most of their clients just didn't take it uh, and they still had those spread model contracts in place so whether or not there is another Avenue um, to that that we're gonna see in the future versus a shift of more people demanding more insight. Um, I think we're gonna see a shift of people demanding more insight, trying to get more access to their data and becoming more educated about it. Now, where does it go after that? And are people gonna say, well, is that the right decision? I think Mm -hmm. remains to be seen. But I think across a lot of things in our society, we're seeing a lot more people digging into various topics and bringing more things to light on a whole myriad of subjects. And I mm-hmm. think that this is definitely going to be one that's going to, going to continue.
1: I have a kind of a, it feels like a silly question, but I've never really thought about it. So let's use Dave's example of his injectable. So are the ingredients expensive? Is it the research that's expensive? Is it the patent that's expensive? Is it all?
2: It's kind of all in a combination of all, and it can differ based on each one. I'd say that, Running clinical trials is expensive, recruiting patients, especially when you have sometimes a smaller patient population can be a challenging, mm-hmm. um, you know, biosimilars and biologic drugs are different than, you know, creating chemicals and compounds, right? It's mm-hmm. not as simple of a process as going back into, you know, chemistry. It's much more complex molecules that they have that, you know, they're, they're developing, From that standpoint, and then Mm -hmm. there are some times that we do see even for products that have been on the market for a long time and generic products that supplies of those compounds do become an issue. If you have, you know, one or two manufacturing facilities and one of them has a problem, I mean, not that long ago, there was um, a manufacturer on the East Coast that their facility got hit by a tornado. Right. And so they had a huge stockpile of, um, you know, medications that was. Worrisome about whether or not it was going to create shortages, and they had to do some testing and then figure out what part of the building was damaged. And I think we're seeing more of those huh. types of incidents with uh, some of the natural disasters that are occurring around the globe um, that can have an impact on um, on drug pricing, drug shortages, supply and demand, some of those types of things. And we then, don't really
1: think about that aspect of it because you're just like, oh, it's expensive. But when you put it all together, I'm like, there's a lot of factors that go into yeah. that.
0: Supply chain issues, right? Yeah, I man. I mean, we, we all learned <laughs> yeah. about that First over world, the past five ten years. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's often in our podcast we'll say, "Okay, what are three tips that you can leave with our viewers or whatever?" But it's almost like pricing is its own animal. It's not like you could just say, "We'll call up and ask what this drug is or whatever." It's with, with pricing, really. What would be your?
2: I think it's it's education both from. A patient or consumer perspective, in terms of you do need to shop around. There are different, um, you know, price, I don't want to say pricing schemes, but, you know, we talked about the zero dollar antibiotics to get people into the stores. Find out which pharmacies in your, you know, particular area that you have that are convenient to you. What is the price on some of those medications um, that's associated with that? when they do that, you want to be sure you're taking a full list of your medications to your pharmacy so they can still scan for drug interactions and those types of things. But I think being an educated consumer from that perspective, and that educated consumer applies to HR as well. And when they're making the decisions about vendors and and those types of things, and if they don't have the capacity to be educated, find a partner who is going to be educated and be able to educate you and take on some of that complexity and provide you um, the guidance to be sure that you're offering a good and competitive plan, not only for your business, but also for your uh, employees.
0: And one final question for me is going back to the, one of your previous podcasts, I'd asked about the length of contract for a pharmacy to make sure that the pricing is right with where the market is today. So can you remind our viewers, how often should an employer be looking at a repricing or checking that? Yeah, I'd say that there's...
2: Two schools of thought on it, or two avenues kind of in the marketplace that's associated with it is that carrier contracts um, being carved in with your medical carrier as well as a few um, PBMs do have one-year contracts that are there. If you have a three-year contract in place, as long as you have the right language within that to allow you to check and test the market and make sure that that market is still competitive and you're seeing – pricing improvements throughout the three years of that contract, I think that's an OK place to be as well, as long as you follow through on doing the market check and, and pressure testing uh, the carrier when your contract allows you to do so.
1: Well, I just gave everyone a look. You can't see us. We're listening to this podcast, but if you listen to some previous ones, we talk about carve in, carve out. We cover some good pharmacy definitions. So Dr. Jeff, do you have anything, any last words you want our listeners to know about, about this topic? Cause I know we're going to be probably doing a few more podcasts and pricing will be brought up again, Yeah. but that um, was a good, that was a good recap there of what I would definitely say stay
2: tuned. We're going to bring the latest pricing mechanisms, you know, and, and discuss what's going on with that. Maybe we'll have a whole section uh, or a whole podcast on some of the new new newer pricing mechanisms from Mark Cuban, what CVS has been doing, you know, Cigna and Express Scripts announced that they're going to allow a, transparent mark you know, fifteen percent markup or whatever the percent markup is going to be, but we can dive into that specifically on a future episode. Ooh, like I as can't well. wait. Yeah.
1: I can't wait. Well, thank you both so much. If you have any questions um, about this topic or if you want to get a hold of Dr. Jeff, how can they get a hold of you? Uh,
0: Jeff at healthierbirthdays.com.
1: And also Kenzie at healthierbirthdays.com.
0: Or Dave at healthierbirthdays.com.
1: Thank you for joining us for this part four of our pharmacy series. We will see you next time on Side Effects.